If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and 3. Some of the preschoolers there and the uh, kids' blasts uh, can funnel on out if you so choose that. Let's pray and then jump into God's Word together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to be able to gather as your people and to hear from your prophetic word. Father, as we open it up this morning, as we discuss it, I pray that you press its truths into our heart. Um, help us to apply its truths. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was uh, growing up, uh, we had uh, several, uh, several different animals uh, at the, at the Boonstra home, and so we would, uh, we would do 4-H, and we'd have uh, different animals that we would show, but then uh, later on, we got uh, chickens, and so my, my uh, parents got chickens, and we had a little uh, chicken coop, and a, a little fence that went around it, and it, it, it started out really well. Uh, so we have chickens, and uh, there's, there's eggs, and things are going well, and then Almost every day, a chicken would go missing. And so a little, uh, maybe we'll, we'll tweak the fence a little bit or change some things around or what's happening. Um, and then the next day, just feathers. And well, we could hear rustling and what's going on there. And it turns out there's, there's coyotes uh, who kept getting into the chicken coop. And so there's, imp- there's improvements that were made, but they just kept getting in. I don't know if these were uh, high jump champion uh, coyotes or what, uh, but they, they found a way in. Uh, they found a way into this, this pen, and they would uh, snatch them up, snack on them, leave a little evidence, and, and be on their merry way. And so uh, we finally developed a system and were able to have it completely enclosed, and they were protected from uh, the coyotes. Well, several years later, they decided to get uh, chickens again. Uh, this time, it was a fully enforced uh, cage. It was a coyote-proof cage uh, from the get-go. We're not, we're not going to make that mistake again because we know if we leave them unprotected, then this, this is what's going to happen. We're aware of the danger that they face. Well, Scripture often refers to false teachers as wolves. And like the coyotes with our chickens, wolves prey on the sheep of God and seek to destroy. There is a present danger that we must understand, and there are precautions that are in order. In this passage, we see the threat of false teachers, and we see the dangers that await these false teachers. Let's look at the passage together and unpack it. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. 
and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. First thing that we notice as we unpack this, this, this passage is that false teachers are nothing new. False teachers are nothing new. In fact, the people of God dealt with false prophets in the past. Here Peter is bridging the previous section to this section. Of course, the previous section, he's talking about the trustworthiness and the reliability of Scripture, of God's prophetic word. And then he's contrasting that with the false prophets who rose up among God's people. We have the written Word of God. He has spoken to us. It's been recorded for us. And God used people as His instruments for that communication. But unfortunately, there has always been those who claim to be instruments of God. Those who say they are His mouthpieces when they are not. These are the false prophets of old. People rose up and attempted to lead God's people astray. We've touched on this. We touched on this when we studied Deuteronomy. The Deuteronomy uh, test of if a a prophet uh, prophesies one false thing at any time, then they're false. Must be 100% accuracy. It's all throughout the Old Testament. And one scholar summarizes these teachers by saying, Old Testament false prophets regularly shared three characteristics. They did not speak with divine authority. Their message was one of good news, promising peace and security in contrast to the warnings of judgment that were given by true prophets. And three, they were shown to be worthy of condemnation. And Peter applies each of these characteristics to the false teachers he denounces in this passage. So the people of God dealt with false prophets in the past, and the people of God should expect false teachers in the present. This is something that does happen. It's not merely limited to the Old Testament or things that would come before. Peter makes a connection saying, hey, these things happened. False prophets arose just as there will be false teachers among you. He's making a connection. He's giving a warning. Watch out for this. And he's doing so so that they are standing firm, established in the truth, the theme that we've, we've developed in this letter. I want you to be established. I want you to understand. Don't fall for this. So, well, is this... Peter's way of just warning them to, hey, stand firm, study your Bible. Is this one of those hypotheticals that's simply a teaching moment? Right? Sometimes as, as, as parents, we have that, or even you had your parent, like, well, if your friend told you to jump off a bridge, would you? Was there a bridge-jumping pandemic at some point uh, where, where friends uh, said that all the time? I, I don't know, but... but the point is, of course, like, you don't listen to the strange things. Like, think for yourself. Think through these things. This isn't a weird hypothetical that, 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 that Peter's bringing up. He's saying, no, this is going to happen. 
You need to expect this. This isn't simply something that, that I'm warning you about so that you stay diligent. This already happened. You know it happened, and it's going to happen again. In fact, there's already people in their midst who are seeking to deceive. Saying this is going to happen, and you're going to have to deal with it. It's interesting here that, that Peter uses the future tense of, of the verb that they will face this. In other verses in this chapter, he speaks that the false teachers were already there and discussing them. So, so what is this? Are they, will they be there or are they there? Well, I think here in, in verses 1 to 3, he's, he's recalling back to the words of our Lord. Right? And all of that discourse when he's warning of, hey, watch out for these kind of things. Remember, one of Peter's goals in this letter is to remind them of truth. And so he's reminding them, remember, false teachers are coming? Remember, this will happen? And then, oh, it is happening. Remember that thing that that Jesus warned about? Remember that thing that that was foretold? This is already happening. And we might say, well, wasn't Jesus talking about the end times? Wasn't he talking about like the future events? Yes. He's talking about the, the, the last days, but even before those last days, even before the, the final days, there's glimpses of that in the here and now. There's foreshadows even now. We'll talk in a, in a little bit of a, of a parallel passage that does something similar. Remember when we talked about prophecy and we talked about um, understanding these things, often you can, you can picture it like a mountain range. That it looks like all one thing and that you get closer and you can see that there's multiple layers to it. There's multiple types of the ultimate false teachers who are to come even now. One other thing that we notice in this passage is that Peter uses the phrase false teachers. So verse 1, false prophets are among just as there will be false teachers. Is this merely a stylistic difference? Or is Peter trying to communicate something here? We really can't tell. But it might make sense that these are people who are not claiming to have a divine word spoken to them from the Lord, but these are simply people who are misinterpreting God's word, misteaching God's word. Whether that's what Peter's talking about or not, we know that happens today, doesn't it? There's some who claim a divine word from God who says, this is what God has told me and this is what you must obey. And there's others who take God's word and use it for their own purposes and misuse it. Both of these things we should guard against. Both of these things we need to be careful of. We also see characteristics of these false teachers. First, these false teachers are nothing new. And we also see characteristics a major characteristic is these false teachers deny Christ. They deny Christ. Who secretly bring into sector heresies, denying the master who bought them. They're marked by their denial of Christ. And denial of Christ might take place in two ways. Doctrinally or practically. Either in their thinking, in their teaching, or in their living. And we see both of these denials with the false teachers. First, we should discuss the way it's done. It's done secretly. It's done secretly. False teachers uh, don't come into their midst with a name tag. 
that says, Hi, my name is John and I'm a false teacher. Hi, I'm here to take your money and blaspheme your Jesus. No, that's not, that's not what's happening. They're, they're, they're coming in secretly. There are certain things that they say that this sounds good. This aligns. Maybe they are on the up and up. Like we know that there's, there's a certain sense where their teaching is out in the open and not completely under the radar because Peter talks about their arrogance later on. But there probably is this idea of we're not out in the open about how much we disagree with the apostolic teaching. And false teachers today uh, do the same thing. They seem like it's, it's right. It, it sounds right, maybe even using scripture, and yet it's off. In the early church, there was a heretic by the name of Arius. And he would use uh, Scripture. In fact, he would say, Jesus is not fully God as the Father is God because the Bible teaches it. It says that he was the firstborn. So if God created Jesus, he's a lesser deity. He's a little G-God. He's just not quite as God as, as God. Of course, firstborn simply means it's talking about his place, his preeminence. But Aries would say, see, the Bible teaches that. They say, no, you, you can't say that. You can't say that Jesus was created. So what Arius would say is, well, there was never a time when Jesus didn't exist. Sounds good, right? There was never a time when Jesus didn't exist or Christ didn't exist, right? There's never a time when Christ didn't exist. Well, there was a beginning to time. He still believed that Jesus was created. He simply believed that he was created before the world began, before time began, before day and night. So he could say the right things and yet mean something completely different. Also in the early church, there's a heretic by the name of Pelagius. And he would, was gotten in a debate with, with Augustine, and they were hashing it out. And Augustine pressed him on the fact that you don't believe in grace. Like, we're saved by grace, like we need God's grace, and you don't believe in grace. He said, yes, I believe in grace. Grace is my own will and ability to do things and the Bible. God has given me the Bible, and he's given me the ability to be able to do things in my nature, and I can do those. I believe that we're saved by grace. And for grace, was, what he meant was God's ability that we have by who we are as created beings, that we can do the right things and follow his word. And if we follow his word and do the right things, then everything's good. That's not what Scripture talks about grace. An undeserved gift Something that we need in addition to ourselves? So we need to be careful. What is meant by that? Simply because somebody uses the right terms does not mean that they're believing the right things. And so it's often done secretly. 
I discussed that there's two types of denial that false teachers often do. There's doctrinal denial first. Doctrinal denial, we, we see this with, with their teaching. They're bringing in destructive heresies. Heresies. Heresy here simply means faction or division. Later, this term um, took on more kind of a technical meaning in the church, uh, referring to things that are contrary to the creeds. Um, but that's not what Peter had in mind here. This is simply wrong teaching and things that, that divide. Um, things that specifically in this context are contrary to the claims of Christ. Specifically, he's probably referencing the teaching about Christ's second coming and a denial that that will take place. And by this teaching, they're actually denying the master who bought them. The master who bought them. Well, master here refers to one with commanding authority, right? relating to their denial of his lordship over their life. Right? We're unsure of, like, what, who is this master? Well, 1 Corinthians 6.20, you were bought with a price. Right? Talking about we were bought with a price by Jesus and his redemption for us. So glorify God with our body. Well, if we're bought with a price, and that's what Christians are, we might think, well, how could this be? Does that mean that Jesus paid for their sin and then they lost it? Right? Well, there are clear passages in the Scripture that teach that nobody can be snatched from the hand of our Savior. So where's this getting at? I think it appears that there, these are some who are among God's people, but then prove themselves to not belong giving the appearance that they belong, but proving that they ultimately did not belong. Right? And we can see that uh, later on uh, throughout, this, uh, <clears throat> uh, throughout this chapter, you look at verse 20, the knowledge of our, our, our Lord and Savior, and then they became entangled again. So it seemed like they had some kind of knowledge, they had some kind of understanding, and then they are turning from that. If this is the case, then it, it seems it, it relates to 1 John 2, 18 and 19. Children is the last hour. And you have heard that Antichrist is coming, and now many Antichrists have come. Again, you see the, the similar language there. right? You see the similar language between the, in 1 John 2, uh, 18 that we see in our passage. Many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that is the last hour. They went out from us, listen to this, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. And so I think this is a phenomenon type of thing that's happening within the church that Peter is talking about here in our passage. People who gave appearance that they belonged to Christ, but they're proving themselves that they never truly belonged. So this doctrinal denial, denying with their teaching, and we also have in this passage a practical or life denial. Right? So their, their false teaching isn't limited to their thinking, but to their lifestyle. Right? They're leading others into a licentious way of living. Some of your translations might say say, depraved ways or depraved conduct. Depraved ways or depraved conduct. It carries connotations of sensuality, as the ESV renders it. But it could more 
be more broad simply to refer to a way of living that doesn't take holiness to the Lord seriously. How much is this contrasted, right, with what we see in the beginning of the chapter 1, right? Middle chapter 1, we see they're to be godly. They're to have virtue. They're to pursue self-control. And here we see these false teachers who are coming in, having them chase after sensual ways of living. In fact, Peter says that this is a way that blasphemes the way of truth. The, The godly way that they're supposed to live is actually being undermined by the way that they're living. Those who are bearing the name of Christ, those who are claiming Christ and yet living contrary to it. So two dangers, right? Those who deny Christ in their teaching and undermine him in his teaching, and also those who lead others away from the commands of God, away from the lordship of God, claiming him as Savior but not as Lord. Two dangers. And there's many things that we can identify even in our own context. Say, well, there's a lot of teachers that do just this deny Christ in their teaching, and also have a type of teaching that downplays the commands of God and downplays the call to holiness in the Christian living. How many churches right now, how many people right now are caving in terms of sexuality and the Christian sexual ethic? It's a danger. Well, as we look at that, I I do want to point out a a danger uh, on the other side as well, right? Uh, We do have to be careful of heresy hunting, right? Heresy hunting, right? Uh, We're to use discernment and to seek to identify those who bring in destructive teachings, but we need to be careful of heresy hunting. Like some seek to to think critically and turn into critical spirits seeking to nitpick anything and everything. We should recognize that it's easier to criticize than contribute. Just think of your favorite backseat driver. Here are a couple ways that we can fall into the trap of heresy hunting. One is simply um, grabbing a hold of mistakes. Right? If a, fault, a false teacher isn't someone who has a slip-up or a mistake. Like a slip-up often happens. I may say even, maybe I've already said in this message, Paul said instead of Peter said. It's not me trying to slip in heresy. It's a slip up. Uh, Someone might even commit a more significant mistake. While false teachers often say good things and sneak in poor teaching, we should be careful of seeing everything, every slip up as a sneaky act. It's good to ask for clarification if something doesn't seem right of seeking to understand better, of weighing that according to more teaching from that individual or from a trusted opinion of, of somebody who, who knows, right? of testing that against their character. Right? It's easy to put on a front <laughs> in front of people. It's, it's easy for uh, somebody uh, who, who speaks on the radio or on TV to appear crystal in that moment, but how are they behind the scenes? What is their life like? A mistake could also re- result from a lack of education or understanding, maybe of how to use specific terms. 
Like each of us is in process and in learning, but if this is a pattern, it may mean that additional education is needed. An example is when um, Apollos was speaking and Priscilla and Aquila took him aside to help him understand better, Acts 18, 24 to 28. After talking to him, he wanted to continue ministry and he was commissioned to go. I think this is one reason that ordination is such a vital process. It's a time when others assess and affirm the calling of an individual and make sure that they're competent in their understanding. These mistakes may not mean that a person is a false teacher, but merely that they're put in a position they were not ready for at that time. We need to understand the difference there. We also need to be careful in our understanding because sometimes we have a lack of what's referred to as theological triage. A triage, medical term, right, referring to uh, different, what the urgency is, depending on the need. So if somebody has a a man cold, right, uh, that's not quite as urgent as a bloodshot wound. Sometimes it feels like that, if if we're honest, right, Uh, with with the man cold. Um, You guys, ladies, know what I mean. Guys, admit it. Uh, uh, We can be wimps sometimes. Um, That that, that happens. Um, But but it's it's not quite the same level of importance, right? You're going to prioritize one over the other. And in the same way, when we look at doctrine, there are certain things that this is chief, this is head, we can't, we can't move on this no matter what. Like Jesus is Lord, he is the only way to heaven. You deny that, you're not a Christian. Like we're Baptist, we love to dunk people. We prize that conviction. But somebody can hold a different conviction on baptism and still be a Christian. But if they say there's another way to heaven, they're no longer a Christian. See that difference? Even though we say that's important, even though that's a a conviction of ours as a local church, like that's not as top level as calling Jesus Lord and submitting to him. In the same way, we could do the same thing with uh, the way we live. Um, and so we have to be careful of, of calling false teacher simply somebody who is out of step with what we might have a preference towards. There is a reason that that term took a more technical meaning in the church. That we have to be careful of simply lobbing bombs and calling everything heresy. If you get Jesus wrong, if you get the Trinity wrong, those are big deals. If you get the way of salvation wrong, that's a big deal. And there's other things that, that may be, that's probably out of step with what the, what the church believes. And that's, that's a big deal still, but it's not maybe quite on the line of heresy. So the churches call that heterodox, right? So kind of a different level of teaching there. One way to understand what's, what's these essential things, what are these important things, is the things that the church has agreed on throughout the centuries, is the things that the church has always said, these are what we believe. Those are things that we have to believe. That's why rejecting the traditional Christian sexual ethic is such a big deal. Christians have agreed on this for 2,000 years. This is not something we just agree to disagree on. You're stepping outside the bounds of orthodoxy, outside the bounds of right thinking, when you make that move. 
And that's a dangerous thing to do. So you have to be careful of heresy hunting. Two ways. One, just be careful of, of turning a mistake into the person's a false teacher. Right? Weigh that according to um, different things they have taught. And second, develop a theological triage. That's one thing we try to do here at First Baptist, even every week, right? Emphasizing what's important, right? What are the most important things or the things that we emphasize the most, right? The goal, again, is to be critical thinkers, not critical spirits. Let's be critical thinkers, not critical spirits. Third, the teachers have selfish motives. Verse 3, selfish motives. And in their greed, they'll exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. They have selfish motives. Daniel, can you grab the slide? One thing they do is they choose greed over God. In Matthew 6, Jesus teaches that we should not lay up treasures here on earth, but instead in heaven. In verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters, for either you hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And this is precisely the wrong choice that the false teachers have made. They're rejecting the master and instead were mastered by money. Their motivation was their own selfish gain, not the glory of Christ. And today this is a huge temptation and a key indicator of what to watch out for. It seems that celebrity preacher scandals are a regular event nowadays. And many are marked by abuses of the pastors, shady dealings with finances of this church, a culture where charisma is elevated over character. When we talk about greed over God, it's hard not to think of today's popular false teaching, the prosperity gospel. This teaches that if you have enough faith and if you give to the church out of your faith, you'll be healthy and prosperous like God wants you to be. It uses God as a way to get your best life now. Costi Hinn is a nephew of Benny Hinn. Touches on the verse that we're talking about right here in his book. He says this. Can you put that slide up with the book? As my study deepened, it became painfully clear that the Hinn style of ministry was nothing like real gospel ministry described in Scripture. We resembled the greedy magicians and imposters that the Bible repeatedly calls out. As he's studying Scripture, as he's learning it more, as he's reading it for himself, he's saying, I see myself in these greedy swindlers. Like he, he wrote a book, God Greed in the Prosperity Gospel, saying hey, like he grew up in this. He grew up working for his, his uncle Benny. And he said, I, I'm working for him, and I'm noticing these things, and it's not lining up with what Scripture teaches. Like we're healing people if they pay us. 
We're doing it for the money. Like, that's exactly what, what I see in Scripture that's condemned. And the problem with the prosperity gospel is it it promises health, wealth, and happiness if you follow the Lord. And the the problem isn't that it promises too much. It's that it promises way too little. It exchanges having Jesus himself for having some money he might give us. It's literally like prodigal son level stupidity. Like, it's, it's Esau-level knuckleheadness, right? Like, what are you thinking? Trading that for your birthright? That's the prosperity gospel, isn't it? You can have your best life now. You can, you can live it in now. The goal in the Christian life is, is not money in this life. It's to know and be known by the God of the universe. The God who loves you, the God who takes care of you, the God who created you. It's to enjoy Him forever. So the problem is, is not only that they choose greed over God, but also that they choose ex- exploitation over self-giving. Aren't pastors called to give and to shepherd and to care for the flock? And here we have them choosing to exploit God's people. To exploit God's people. And it says with their false words, they're saying things that aren't true in order to take advantage of God's people. In his book, uh, Costi writes about how he would travel with his uncle. They would take their golf stream to a country in a private jet. They would stay at the fanciest hotels, some stay costing over $25,000 per night. They'd be chauffeured to their healing event, passing rundown homes and impoverished people who would show up to be healed. These people would give what they had to the ministry so that they had a chance to show that they had enough faith to be healed. Gossie tells of one time when they would, they would have people put money in envelopes and bring those envelopes up for a blessing. You bring me the envelope, I'll pray a blessing over you. And depending on how much you gave, depending on how much you were willing to sacrifice in this moment, that's how much this blessing will help and aid you. He said then they would take those envelopes and divvy up the spoils after exploiting the sheep of God. It's, it's frustrating, isn't it? It's irritating. Because it's like my eyes were open. I'm like, I'm, I'm angry at this. Like, how could this happen? Well, here's, here's the, the fourth point. This is, this is important. The false teachers bring themselves destruction. There is a dangerous end for dangerous teachers. The image is one of waiting and impending doom. It's imminent and it could happen at any moment. 
The title of this message is Beware of False Teachers, but with a repetition of destruction in this passage aimed at the teachers themselves, we could have named it False Teachers Beware of God. This is a stern warning. God will not be mocked. He does not turn a blind eye to those who use his people for their own personal gain. This is not merely a slap on the wrist. The condemnation in mind is God's judgment of eternal damnation. And it will come. The false teachers cannot think that God is asleep and that his judgment will never come. There will be a day of reckoning. But since this day is not yet, there is time to return to the truth, to repent. We see that of people being brought out of this teaching, of teachers confessing and coming to the truth. We understand that this is is dangerous and those who are, are dangerous teachers will face this. But what about people who are caught up in this? about people who are caught up in this mo- movement and, and they're being deceived themselves. Maybe they're just struggling to know what to believe. And it sounds good because they're quoting Bible verses. And, and what do I do? Well, first, we can, we can pray. We can pray for people who are, who are caught. And pray for them. Pray that others see through the teaching. Pray that God... Um, opens their eyes to the truth, pray that he opens the false teacher's eyes to the truth. Paul went from persecutor to persecuted for God. And others can go from exploiting to self-giving. Kasi Hinn is one example. There are many more. Second, be patient. We can have a zeal to save others from false teaching, um, and, and we want to help them see what they're caught in, but the zeal can backfire. Instead, we should be gentle. Many are deceived and they don't know it. Doing the hard work of studying the false teaching will allow us to ask the right questions. Knowing the right teaching. Knowing the false teaching. Knowing the individual that we're speaking to. That's way harder than lobbing bombs of how could you believe so-and-so's teaching. Studying, being careful, looking for the opportunity to put, as one apologist said, the pebble in the shoe. Right? What he mean, meant by that was this, like a pebble in your shoe that's just kind of irritating. You know, you're walking all day and you're like, oh, that thing's still there, it's still in my shoe. Asking a question like that, that sticks in somebody's mind. Like, oh man, maybe this isn't right, maybe something is off. Maybe this doesn't line up with what Scripture is teaching. That takes work. Anyone can lob bombs, but it requires the precision and care of a doctor with a scalpel to do heart surgery. Ultimately, it's the Lord who changes hearts, and we should bathe whatever we do in prayer. It also means that we need to be ready to talk about it. When those that were coming alongside gently were saying, hey, I'm, I'm here if you, ever, if you ever need it, if you ever want to talk about this more, just know that I'm here. But are we ready if they come to us? Right. Uh, Zach Spiller works with our college uh, ministry, our uh, ministry resident here. 
um, and uh, he works with students, uh, our middle school students, and with our college ministry. Right now, they're talking about false gospels in the college ministry. Uh, they just went through some of the principles of Kosti Hinn's book, um, and he gave them like a two-page summary of prosperity gospel and kind of where things go off track and what things to look out for. Terrific resource. If you're a college student and you're not involved in some of our, our college ministry, you're not involved in Sunday school and things like that, get plugged in. They're doing great things there. Um, I made a ton of copies of these, and it's out on the, the Welcome Center as you leave. If you just want a, a brief overview, I'd recommend his book as well, uh, but this will get you started, and that might be a, a good resource. Uh, Prosperity Gospel is one of the uh, biggest false teachings out there today. Right? Think about a majority of TV preachers are Prosperity Gospel advocates. Right? It's something to, to be aware of. So we might think to ourselves, well, this seems <laughs> depressing. Like you just have a whole message on false teaching. And the dangers they, they bring. They've always been around. They always keep coming. Well, here's the beauty. There was one who was before anything that ever existed. And this one is truth itself. And truth has a name. And it's Jesus. He came to this earth and only taught what is good and true. Truth embodied. The way of truth on display. He was perfectly obedient from his first breath to his last breath. He did not come selfishly to get or be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. He laid his life down for his friends. His life didn't earn destruction, but he willingly took it. It was the destruction that awaited you that he willingly took on himself. False teachers entice. They use the name of Jesus for personal gain. The one who is called Jesus tasted death so that we might savor life eternally with him. Run to him. Believe in him. Don't settle for anything less. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we thank you for the beauty of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to be on guard against false teachers. Guard us as well from being uh, those who um, simply heresy hunt and, 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 and nitpick. And Father, above all, ground us in the person and work of Jesus. He is all we need. We thank you for him. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.